Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Any questions I ask myself when I question myself. It's so good to be back with you guys. It's been way too long. Can we just, first of all, I've been so uh, thoroughly enjoying this help series. Who else? Anyone else? Can we thank the table team for all the work they've been doing? Man, I was thinking about um, the panel a couple weeks ago with uh, Jarian and Shauna and Britt. And it got me, they were sharing about how God provided for like the really scary, like immediate needs in your life. Like food, water, shelter, safety, those kind of things. And amen to that. And it got me thinking um, about when I was, let's see how I say this. When I was uh, younger and poorer, because I'm still quite young and poor. But... um, when I was younger and poorer, and I'd just gotten married, shout out to my wife, Tori, for marrying me, young and broke. It's about four or five years ago. I don't know if you've ever had like a, oh my goodness, this is a God moment. But for me, I think it was Christmas. It must have been like December 15th through 20th, right before Christmas, 2018. And Tori and I had added up all the numbers, subtracted all the numbers, and realized, um, we're, I don't think we're going to have money for rent this month, the way things are going. It's like halfway through the month, and we're like, I don't know about this. Between the Christmas gifts and the traveling and the extra gas and everything, I don't know if we're going to make it. It was like a scary moment for us. And I was like, I don't know if I even have time to pick up more shifts to like get the money. Like, What's going to happen? And I kid you not, not a day later, I'm at the office here, working in the table office, I'm on the table team, and someone calls me on the office phone, freaked me out, no one had ever done that before, because like, who uses an office phone, like, people usually just text me or call me, I'm, you know, I was working with young adults, nobody calls the landline, and so somebody calls the landline, I pick up, it's security, right out here, and they say, hey, somebody left an envelope here at security with your name on it, so I walk down, I grab it. It's like this thick envelope that's sealed. I put it in my backpack. Tori can correct me if I'm wrong. I think I waited until I got home to open it. Because I remember getting home, opening it. I just remember this moment, Tori and I just crying, opening this, holding it in our hands, and realizing there was like three to $400 worth of gift cards for gas and groceries that just came out of nowhere. And it was this moment of like, God's got us. Like, this help thing, it's real. Like, God has really got us, right? And it was like a big deal for our faith as a young couple. Well, fast forward to last year, and we're still, we're a little bit less young, a little bit less broke maybe, but still definitely young and broke, still poor college students. And I remember last year, we had this moment, we moved and we had a new roommate and we were trying to figure out, I don't know if you've ever done this with a roommate, trying to figure out, we share, my wife Tori and I share a car, how do we get everywhere we need to be within a 10 hour span of time with one car without someone, have to sitting at the libra- without someone having to sit at the library for six hours? So we're doing like this Jenga puzzle of whatever, and we get to this end of like stressful conversation, a little bit heated, like, I don't want to wait four hours at the library for you to pick me up. Can't you drop me off earlier? Well, can't you leave that meeting earlier? We're trying to figure this out. And then we were like, 
well, why don't we just ask our roommate to drop you off? Your thing is right down the road. And we both, like, as soon as I said it, we both kind of cringed and tense. And this is what we felt. We felt, I'm just so tired of asking for help. I'm so tired. Maybe this is how you feel. It's on the screen. I don't want to feel like a burden. I know I don't have enough. I'm tired of feeling like a burden. And I'm just tired of asking for help. And it was just this, we've gotten, when you, well, when you don't have much, you get good at depending on God's help. So we were cool with depending on God's help. But we had been depending on God's help for so long. We were like, when are we going to get to be the people who help someone else? Like, is this season of surviving and just depending, like trying to make it, like just having ends meet, is this going to last forever? Am I just supposed to sit here and wait for more help? What am I supposed to do? I think a lot of us feel that way. When Isaac asked me to talk about money, we had a conversation, and that's what we landed on. I think that's a common thing for all of us. I don't feel like I have enough. And you're telling me to depend on God's help. That's great, but I just feel like a burden. I think God's word has something to say about that. So if it's all right with you, what I want to do tonight, we're just going to hear from God's word, and we're going to try to do what it says together. Sound good? All right, you can open up in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. That's in the New Testament for any of the the rookie Christians in the room. We love you. Just trying to help you out. Rookie Christians, the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It'll also be on your screen. Let me give you a little context of what's happening here. Um, 2 Thessalonians is uh, what's called a Pauline epistle, which is a, a way to say this is a letter that a guy named Paul, who was an apostle, wrote to one of those early churches in the New Testament, right? So Paul's writing this letter. The thing you need to know about this book is the city he's writing to, the church in the city called Thessalonica, um, this is a city that is in an ancient Greek, in, sorry, this is a uh, church that is in an ancient Greek city. The best way I can describe that is like, these are like the philosophy majors on campus. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, these are like some... I would say a little bit nerdy people. They have deep questions. And so if you read some of his other letters to other people, he's like, um, don't sleep with people that you're not married to. And like, you know, give money to the poor and like very direct. These people have some deeper questions. They're like, yo, you've been saying that Jesus is going to come back. Tell us about that. And so he's trying to like engage with this community. And as you'll see when we start to read here in a second, Apparently, Paul and his team, his ministry team, had visited this church, spent time with them. He's left now, and he's corresponding back with them, and he wants to share with them some warnings. He wants to share with them some, some truth about Jesus' second coming and what they can expect, and then some warnings about what to do and what not to do as you wait. It's kind of where we're at sometimes, right? Like, Okay, I know something is coming. I'm just waiting, so what do I do? And this is what he says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6 through 12. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. 
It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul is trying to teach them about how to wait for God's help. The first thing I think it's important to notice this is what he's not saying. And I put it this way on the screen. First thing to notice is that in Paul's vision that he's trying to explain to them, um, God's help is communal. What I mean by that is if you're not careful, you could read this text and go, you know, he's basically saying, everyone fend for yourself. You know, everyone work and pay your own way and God helps those who help themselves and all of that. But you've got to understand contextually here, Paul has stayed with these people already. And he makes the point to say, listen, I did eat your bread, but I engaged with it a certain way. I think we live in a culture sometimes where it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that God's help is for me. And so if you have a a prayer list, maybe you just start writing out all the things that you need and all all the things that you want. And that's not wrong. Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread, right? That's, that's a good thing. But sometimes we can get stuck in this idea of like, um, it's me and God. It's just me and God. No one else has my back. It's just me and God. And I'm walking. I'm a lone ranger walking through the wilderness of life. And, you know, I can't really depend on anyone. No one, my family hasn't been good to me. My friends have gossiped about me. And, you know, that's all right. I don't need you guys anyway. I'm content just to pray, get on my knees, live in the wilderness like John the Baptist, eat some locusts, you know, get some gift cards at the security desk once in a while. And I'm fine. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. That's important. And if we do believe that, I think what we're in danger of is missing one of the big ideas of the Bible. All the way back to the most ancient parts of the scriptures, there's this idea that God blesses his people so that they may be a blessing to others. All the way back to Abraham, all the way back to the Old Testament. It's never, you're the chosen one, you're the chosen people, and I'm just going to deck you out. You're going to be great. And then you just get to like hover above the earth and let everyone else like kind of be like uh, the Mount Olympus in Greek mythology and just look at all the humans and be like, ha, 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 we're on the city of God, man. We've got all our needs provided for. We've got the manna from heaven. No, that's not the idea. From the very beginning... It's God blesses us so that we may be a blessing to others. We receive God's help as a community, and then as a community, we help each other and those outside of the community. So that's number one. God's help is communal. Number two, notice, everyone is responsible for helping. I think if us young adults were honest, we would maybe say, okay, Gen X and boomers, you guys participate in God's help. Uh, millennials and Gen Z will depend on God's help, and you guys can just, like, funnel your money this way. <laughs> and we'll, we'll be good. We can work at Starbucks and be a barista and, you know, like, go out to the movies and hang out and, like, have 25 streaming services. You guys work that boring corporate job, and this is a, just a great situation, right? Wow, that's like really struck a nerve with some of you. 
Listen, guys, that's not Paul's vision here. And that's actually striking to me when I first read this. He doesn't differentiate, like, you know, and there's other, I, I want to be careful here. Like, if there's someone here who's in serious need, this is not me saying that everyone at all times has the same responsibility of helping. That's not exactly what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's not a group of Christians who are the consumers of God's help and a group of Christians who are the contributors of God's help. And it's not age or socioeconomic status or anything like that that determines this. Paul says everyone works. Everyone contributes. Everyone is equally responsible for, contri- or for receiving God's help and for giving God's help. The picture I think of when I'm thinking through this, can you show this picture? Does anyone know what this is? I heard someone. It's a leech. Someone said a caterpillar. No, it's a leech. It's an ugly caterpillar. Oh. No, it's a leech. You know what a leech does? Yeah, it sucks blood. A leech is not part of the body. It's not part of the body. But it attaches to the body and it sucks it dry and gets fat until it's happy and then it falls off and goes finds another body. You know, this isn't everyone. But I'll admit, I've been this person before that says stuff like, when, we're, when I'm talking about church, I'm like, I'm not just, I'm just don't feel like going. Why? Why don't you feel like going? I'm just not getting anything from it anymore. I, I hear this all the time. And again, I'm not saying that there's not a conversation around really genuinely having a community that can help you when you need help. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Paul's vision, no one gets to be a leech. No one gets to be outside of the body and like, well, I only go when there's something in it for me. And especially when it comes to the financial aspect of things, especially when we're talking about real physical practical needs, people needing help, it's not like, oh man, I only show up when I need to ask Pastor Isaac for something. That's just not how it works, right? So number, that's number two. Be careful we don't abuse that. Everyone is responsible for helping. And number three, last but not least, helping is hard work. In, um, at the end of that 2 Thessalonians passage, there's this phrase that really popped out, popped out at me. He says, um, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, and this is the phrase, not busy at work, but busybodies. Not busy at work, but busybodies. Can I just confess to you guys? Like, if there's a chief offender of the not busy at work, but busybodies, if there's a chief offender of the, I'm going to skip doing homework to have a one-on-one with my best friend, if there's a chief offender, oh, oh. (laughs) I'm not the only one. Listen, I remember, man, I remember just starting out, moving to Orlando, trying to make it, and I remember the season where, I don't know if it was just that I didn't like being alone with my own thoughts, which happens, or if I just thought it was impressive and flashy, that kind of thing. I remember the season where I had like four part-time jobs. And, and I was taking these part-time jobs, these internships, and I was taking these classes, and, and I was just all over the place and busy all the time. And um, I remember this one week, and I don't know why I thought about it when I was preparing for tonight. I just thought about this one instance where I had to go and do homework. Like, it was like the most, 
normal, like, Wednesday afternoon, I have to go do homework. And there was an opportunity here at the church to come for a free lunch. They call it, like, lunch and learn. Like, come and learn about something and eat free lunch. And I literally talked myself out of doing my homework and actually doing the work that God had assigned to me in the place in life that I'm at to go and, like, be ministered to and to go and, like, be, be, be filled up at this lunch, guys. I'm not saying that um, you should always stay at your job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there aren't times when you need to take a break. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is that it's possible that you're hiding behind a busy schedule in order to avoid hard work. And it's possible that you're sometimes, that I'm sometimes, that we're sometimes hiding behind a busy schedule because helping people is the kind of, the kind of hard work that it takes to help people is boring. It's striking that Paul doesn't say like, like, man, at any time you feel like it, this would be the gospel according to Alec, any time you feel like it, why don't you call out of work, you just have a mental health day, and like schedule a couple ones with, one-on-ones with your friends, and you know, schedule a, a surprise life group date night to Domu. What, like, and I'm not hating on any of that for its own sake. But I'm saying, sometimes, if we want to get to the place where we can be the ones who are not always depending on other people. We're not always at the bottom of the barrel. That's going to take hard work. And Paul doesn't shy away from that. He calls them out. He says, earn your living quietly. Like, do the boring thing and go and work hard so that you'll be able to help people. I don't think we should be afraid of that. And sometimes we are. Okay? So this vision... Paul Pates, I want you to see this, this vision of help. What he's trying to show us is it's this communal thing that we're all involved involved in. Everyone is responsible for contributing, right? And it takes hard work. It takes hard work. If I could sum all of that up in one idea, sum all of that up, what is Paul trying to teach us about God's help? This is what I would leave you with. You ready? It's on your screen. This is what it is. Oh, one more. I'm sorry, Seth. I got him out of order. There it is. God wants to help you help others. God wants to help you help others. He doesn't just want to meet your bare minimum needs so that you have just enough money for rent and for that fifth Starbucks. He wants to help you help others right? We're in danger sometimes, guys, of genuinely believing that we have no agency in the matter, that we have no power over the matter, that, man, things are rough. And believe me, I've been there. Things can get rough. But we're in danger of, of getting to a place where we start believing that we genuinely have nothing to contribute, And then we feel guilty that we're not contributing. And it's this vicious cycle where we don't feel like we have enough to give. And then we feel guilty for not giving. And we can't get out of the loop, right? This is what the church in Thessalonica was experiencing. There's like this weird dynamic where some people are abusing God's help, abusing the community's help. And they're just taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. And they're not working. They're not contributing themselves. And 
I'll tell you what, it's not just an ancient Greece 2,000 years ago problem. As I was preparing for tonight, I stumbled across this article, and yes, Isaac called it, I am an economics major at UCF. I cannot come to the table and not quote some economics paper for you. So here we go. This is, I thought it was really good, from these two University of uh, Stockholm professors. They wrote this paper called On the Psychology of Poverty. Get this. This is the quote that stood out to me. The evidence indicates, they did this study of like 100,000 people and who self-describe themselves as being impoverished. And let me set for the record, um, these are people in first world developed countries, right? So people who are not at the bottom end of global poverty, which is a whole different conversation. We can have another day. These are people in kind of similar context to us, but who self-describe that they don't have enough to get by. This is what he says. This is what they say. The evidence indicates that poverty causes stress and negative effect states, which... which in turn, may lead to short-sighted and risk-averse decision-making, possibly by limiting attention and favoring habitual behaviors at the expense of goal-directed ones. What they're saying is, it's possible to get in this loop where we feel so powerless that we only think about our needs, we don't believe we have anything to contribute, and we stop working for more. They call it the psychology of poverty. Paul calls it idleness. Idleness. It's this place, and sometimes we over-spiritualize it, and we cover up with a lot of fancy, like, spiritual makeup, and we call it something it isn't. But genuinely, this, this is a warning Paul is giving us. God is not just in the business of uh, giving, you any, everything, giving us everything we want and need so we can just sit on the sidelines. God wants to take you and make you into a contributor in your community. God wants to help you help others. And this isn't a, you show you're not doing enough, man, you're not, you, you know, I'm just going to rub it in your face that you need to do more. That's not the point I'm trying to make. This is where this ties in, very importantly, to this whole help ser series that we're covering. Uh, we are in danger of thinking, this is the idleness trap, that over here is me when I need things, right? And I'm just sitting here passively waiting for God to meet my needs. That's all I can do. And then one day, when I have enough, I can move to a new category where I now begin to help other people. And as long as I'm over here, I'm kind of trapped. And I'm just waiting for a break, a lucky break, you know, my grandpa to pass away and leave me a bunch of money. I don't know, something to kickstart me so that I can move into this new category of becoming someone who's super rich and gets to, like, leave $1,000 tips, right? That's not the vision that Paul is painting of God's help. God has placed in you the need to be a contributor. Just like you have the need inside of you for water and air and shelter and safety, he's put inside of you the need to be a contributor to the community around you. That's part of your DNA. So when I say that God wants to help you help others, it's not you better start helping others. No, you have this need in you. God's help isn't limited just to your basic needs of food and water and shelter. He wants to help you with that need. He wants to help you become independent. He wants you to help you be someone who helps others and doesn't just receive help. He wants to take you beyond that trap of idleness, right? 
So that's all fine and well. I hope you're still with me. Are you still with me? If that genuinely is what the picture Paul is painting, if God genuinely wants to help us help others, then we're going to need some creative ways to do that because rent week is coming up, y'all. And when rent week comes up, it's just, you know, the rubber meets the road. We got to get serious about it. So here I, I took some time. I brainstormed. I want to give you two ways to engage with that piece of God's help as God helps you help others. One that's depending and one that's participating. So similarly to how we've been talking about help throughout the past couple of weeks, there's these two aspects to God's help. You just depend and you participate, right? You receive and you give. So I want to talk through both of those things. The first thing I have for you um, under the depend category, this is an idea for you. This is what I'm doing the next week, and it's an invitation to join me. Everyone, hold your fist up in the air and squeeze them super duper tight for me. Okay? Knuckles, Pachi, knuckles. <laughs> and now release it and let it go. Open palms. Open palms. Okay. I want you to repeat after me. And you can put it on the, straight, on the screen, Seth. Open hand prayer. Next one. Okay, repeat after me. God, give me something I can give someone else. Here's the task for you. If you're taking notes, if you got your phone out, uh, this is what I did. I went in my calendar to the time in the day where I have typically have either a commute or some free time or my daily quiet time or whatever, and I put a little calendar just for the next seven days. That's my challenge for you. Just the next seven days. Put a 10-minute block in and put an open hand, prayer, open hand prayer as the event, and then in the location thing, which nobody actually puts addresses there, you just put like notes to yourself, just write in. It'll fit. I promise. I tried it. God, give me something I can give to someone else. And here's my challenge to you. And over the next week, we all have needs. I understand that. Over the next week, I want you to look for someone else's needs around you. I want you to look for that person who said something about their car or that person who said they're struggling with this or that, some practical need around you of someone you know. And I just want you to ask God. This is, de this is depending part, right? This is not even using your resources yet. Just ask God, God, this person is discouraged. Give me something I can give them. Give me something I can give someone else. And be on the lookout. I'm not promising it'll happen, but be on the lookout. Is it a gift card that someone just happens to give you? Is it a word of encouragement someone gives you? Is someone like, oh, I forgot to Venmo you that other night for those, that dinner and um, Coca-Cola we were drinking. So um, here's that money I owe you, right? Like be on the lookout in the next week for an unexpected something that shows up. My challenge to you is as you pray the next week, find a place to pass that on, okay? That's, that's my challenge for you. Squeeze it God, give me something I can give someone else, all right? Now participate. What do we do with the resources we already have? I was trying to navigate two different streams of thought here. So I titled overarchingly, my title for you is my next 10%. The reason I called it that is because there's a long tradition in churches of something called tithing. So if you grew up in church, you've heard this term. Tithing is this idea that you give 10% of your income to the church. All right, pretty simple. And not going to lie, 
pastor's kid, missionary kid. I have like a rough relationship with the whole tithing thing sometimes. I'm just being honest and candid with you guys. I, sometimes I'm just a little bit too much of an anti-establishmentarian. Is that the, that's a long word. And sometimes I'm just like, are you just taxing me? Is this just a fancy word for a tax? It just, is it, just call it the Christian tax. Call it the Christian tax and I'll pay the Christian tax, right? And I was just, I, you know, I can be a brat. And so I'm just like wrestling with it. I'm like, oh my God, cross. Like, I don't want to do this. And I tithe, guys. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying. Like, I just like, sometimes I'm like, oh, this isn't, I don't like this, right? And uh, when I told Isaac that this past week, he was like, bro, just tithe. Like, like don't overcomplicate. And so be me being me. I had to deep dive into like, what is this? If I'm going to explain it to you guys, what is this whole tithing thing? Especially if you've never tithed before. And this is what I have for you. The, 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 the phrase up there is first fruits. This is what I discovered. No, just first fruits. Oh, first fruits. There it is. Sorry. I've got two different screens up here. I won't bore you with that. First fruits. Um, I had the deep dive to get my heart right with God and uh, prepare to tell you what I'm about to tell you. And what I learned about tithing is that it's actually not an institutional tax. It's not like the Christian tax that you just pay. It's not a country club membership. It's none of that. It's actually a really, really beautiful ancient tradition of first fruits. In an agrarian society, specifically in Jewish society, there was this tradition where when you collected your harvest, however big or small, that it was. You would take the first part of the harvest and you would take it to the town square to the temple and you would give it to the priest and he would say, hey, use this however you can to support local ministry, to care for the poor, and to help people around us. That's what it was. You take the first portion of what you have and you go and you just offer it to God. And you say, listen, it might not be a lot. And that's honestly the genius of the 10% thing. Because some of us, our 10% is much bigger than other people's 10%. But it's a good rule of thumb. You just start with, you go to your town square, you go to your local church, and you say, listen, it's not much. Use this however you can. So I encourage you, if you've never done this before, if you've never participated in this tradition, you're kind of missing out. This is like a big deal. This has been around for thousands and thousands of years. If you have questions about it, Isaac said he would stand back there and answer all of the... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but really, go find Isaac. He's the person to talk to. If you've never given that way, your next 10% might be your first 10%. Just step into that, the tradition of first fruits. Now, for a lot of us, we're already giving somehow. You might already be tithing. You might already have like an automatic payment uh, to like Compassion International that you signed up at a Maverick City concert, like whatever. Um, you might already have like this kind of automatic first roots in your life. I want to challenge you to something more, okay? And it's what I titled the Community Emergency Fund. If you listen to like any personal fi finance guru, shout out uh, Dave Ramsey, um, They'll talk to you about this thing called an emergency fund, but basically everyone says the same thing. Like, listen, if you want to stop living paycheck to paycheck, scrap and work hard and do everything you can to put $1,000 away, put it away, save it, and when a rainy day happens, when your, you know, your transmission starts acting weird or when you're tired, whatever, you have something already set aside. I thought about this for a while, and I went, you know what would be really cool? 
what if this room, what if we all had $1,000 set away or whatever it was, and it wasn't just for us? What if we all had $1,000 set away and we said, the next time anyone, if, if it's my emergency, I'll use my emergency fund, of course, but the next time anyone tells me they have an emergency going on, I already have something ready to go, right? And for a lot of us, you know, you might be already, like, like I've been many times, just trying to get by two creative ways to fund your community emergency fund. I'm dead serious about this, by the way. If you're interested, I will nerd out about personal finance for you. I will help you find a way. I'm dead serious about this. Two creative ways to start funding this community emergency fund. One, um, raise your hand if you went out to eat today. Anything, Starbucks, McDonald's, whatever. Uh, raise your hand if you went out to eat once this week, uh, twice this week, Okay, still a few, three times this week. Okay. I, I'd say the cutoff is about between two and three, which is what I suspected. Two and three times a week. Let's times that by four. Let's, call, let's say, just on an average, we eat out about ten times a month. Okay? Let's say we all eat out ten times a month as an average, right? Similarly, how many of you work, I know there's some part-time workers here. How many of you work at least three days a week? Uh, four days Five, six, it's a lot of fives. Okay, that's what I suspected too. Okay, this is perfect. You guys walked into my trap. <laughs> my assumption walking in here tonight was that the average person here eats out 10 times a week and works five days per week. So here's my challenge for you. That, that adds up. If you wanted to fund your community emergency fund, all that would involve is pick up two shifts a month or cut out one meal out a week. If you can cut out one meal out during the week, or you can pick up one or two shifts a month, honestly, and just stash that in a little savings account and say, God, I want to participate in you helping me help others. I don't want to be the person who's just a burden all the time and who doesn't, doesn't have anything to contribute. Help me help others. That's my encouragement for you. And I'm dead serious. If you want help with that, I'll stand in the back afterwards. I can, we can talk about it. We can nerd out. I can give you all the podcasts and books you need to make your dreams come true. No. In all seriousness, for, I mean, I'm just gauging by your faces here. Um, even that seems hard to do sometimes, right? We're just, we just have so little. It feels like we have so little sometimes that, you know, that. That's giving up that one Starbucks a week. That's like the Starbucks I need to get through my shift. And so it's like all connected. And it's like, man, this is stressful. Like, how do I do this? And I feel that too. I do feel that too. Um, but I think there's a healthy dose of challenge that comes when we look at people who are way less fortunate than us and we see them being more helpful than us. So that, I want to end on a challenge for all of us, including us. And it's a story I came across um, this week from the Financial Times in March. Anyone been following along with the war in Ukraine? Even on just social media, know what's going on somewhat. Um, uh, newsflash, there's a war in Ukraine. Uh, Russia and Ukraine are at war. And there's a refugee crisis happening right now. There's hundreds of thousands of refugees who are crossing the Ukrainian borders in all directions. But this particular article, Seth, you can put the, the picture up. This particular article 
was specifically about the refugee crisis happening in Poland. So all, you know, Poland, Ukraine, all these Ukrainian refugees, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian refugees are pouring over the border over the past couple months into Poland seeking refuge. And listening to this article, um, the article started in an interesting way. It started with an introduction of a character uh, named Biada Boruka. Okay, can we see our picture, Seth? <laughs> okay, this is Biada Boruka. Okay, um, she, her name for herself is the internet's most famous grandmother, right? This is a Polish grandmother, I kid you not, who has one of the top lifestyle blogs in all of Poland. She has like millions of subscribers and millions of people who follow her along with her weekly. And she basically, you know, we could get into like the, the socioeconomic effects of the war 50 years ago and how like there's an older generation. We don't have to get into that. Needless to say, she's like a superstar in Poland. And she like helps grandmas look cute and like helps, gives like parenting and grandparenting tips. She's got this big blog. And in the article, it explains that she was working with this app. And this app's whole job, this app developers came to her and said, hey, can we leverage your platform to connect in kind of like an Instacart kind of uh, situation, but for free? Hundreds of thousands of elderly grandmas who follow you with like young kids who just have extra time and need like volunteer hours. And could like, we use this app to connect people. And it's super cool, right? Well, in the article, it goes on to say that Biada Boruka, Grandma Boruka, realized what was happening uh, with the refugee crisis. And she went to those app developers and said, I actually don't, I'm thinking about leveraging this app. What if we can leverage this app to connect refugees to families in need. Wouldn't that be cool? And they were like, let's do it. We'll get good press on this. Someone will invest in our IPO. We'll take off. This could be big for us. And she was like, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. I'm not talking about having the, like, the young kids help the refugees. I have grandmas who need to help others. And we can leverage this platform to give them purpose and allow them to help others. This is a quote from the article. I'll leave you with this. Polish grandmothers are not very rich, but what we have is heart. And we have time because generally we are retired. Now the main challenge is to reach Ukrainian mothers and tell them we are ready to help. Let's stand. We're going to sing. Let me pray for us. God, I, I don't know. I just want to pray for like Grandma Boruka faith. <laughs> I um, just, she puts me to shame, Father. And um, I just pray that you would raise up um, a group of us here who would take this seriously, who would say, I don't have much, but what I do have, I know God wants to use to help others, just like 100,000 Polish grandmothers that signed up for the app. We love you. We just want you to fill us, to be with us, 
to keep this on our minds, to not let us get away from the table and not make an actual plan to make this happen. And God, we know that all of this is only possible, like Isaac said before, Father, if you are the rock on which we build everything else. If our life is built on our own success, we're just going to abuse your help. If our life is on our own image, we're just going to we're just going to follow our own way. But God, if you make Christ the true foundation, the deepest desire of our heart, we believe we can follow you into places we don't even we can't even imagine right now. I pray that over me, my family. I pray over my spiritual family here at the table. In Jesus name. Amen.